Just a note, this episode discusses domestic violence and spiritual abuse. It might be difficult for some listeners. If you'd like more resources on domestic violence, check out whenlovehurts.ca. There are informative articles and services available if you or someone you know needs help. Welcome to Rector's Cupboard, a podcast for people who are interested in questions of culture and faith. We ask these questions from outside the institutional structures of religion. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you enjoy and benefit from the conversation. We have a great interview coming up on this episode of Rector's Cupboard, but we're pleased right now to say that we also have a tasting for this episode. Our cupboard Woo-hoo! master, Woo-hoo! Ken Bell, is here. Ken Allison is here with us. Amanda <laughs> is here as well. And uh, we've got a tasting. We're going to do the tasting first. Yeah. Like yeah. We'll I want to get right into, into this. It. Yes. Yeah. 100%. And then while we're talking for a couple of minutes, we can sip away at yeah. your clean, clean. about to tell and us it. what. Yeah. There we go. So are we cheersing? Oh, yeah. Cheers. Why yeah. not? So we are kind of excited to have this. We've, we've done events at Sons of Vancouver before, but I don't think we've had Sons of Vancouver on as one of the samples. So maybe I we did the peach so. snobs. Peach did snobs. we do peach did we? snobs? Yeah, I think so. Okay. But this is one of their first drinks that we tried and just really, really enjoyed. It's their Amaretto. They make two different Amarettos. One is their standard Amaretto. The other is a barrel-aged. That's the one. one we're That's trying one. right it's now so is good. a barrel-aged. It's aged for 12 months in a bourbon bottle. It picks up incredible nuance and it's like and oakiness, and it's sweet, it's but not it's so, so sweet. Mm. Uh, it's a, it's a just an amazing uh, amaretto. Uh, and you, you tasting can, it already? Are we supposed I, to be yes, yes. No, I'm sorry, started. I'm not waiting any longer. I have a question: it. Is it amaretto or amaretto? I always said it amaretto, but okay, Ken seems to know these things, so now amaretto. I'm questioning he myself. Try, he adds kind of gives it a little bit of a gravitas, <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to gravitas. Mm. <laughs> So uh, I've, I'm with you, okay. Amaretto. I mean, Amaretto. Amaretto. I've had both of it's their their Amarettos. Or an Amadillo, I do right? prefer this one. It is more expensive. I think it's worth it. It's like substantial. Oh, that's delightful. Oh, it's so good. The other one's great. A lot but of both of them is, are very. This good. one is next. Really level, forward in vanilla bean, and mm. you do get um, it some is of like the sweet dessert honey in the nectar. Glass. It is, it is delicious. <laughs> so if you are it near is. Sons of Vancouver, which is located in North Vancouver, yes, go or you yep. are... Uh, I think it is uh, available. Their barrel-aged one only comes out once a year in November. Yep. So I think it right is now. now. I'll double check and put yeah. it in the episode notes. So the main so thing is is apricots, vanilla beans, and honey. Those are sort of the is main... apricots? Or apricots. Thank you. Apricots? So anyways, before we go to the fantastic interview that we have for you on this episode um i thought we would talk for a moment we've probably done this before but about youth group Um, we're interviewing there's just so many good stories we could do this several times who was part of the youth group when i was a youth pastor i'm always so proud to say I was once a youth pastor. Are you can as is well? It, is it because you're saying it in the past tense or because thing, it was actually something you enjoyed doing? If there's one thing that carries like a kind of a panache, a cool kind oh, of... Uh, sorry, does it? Oh my goodness, no. Really? I was trying to think no. of Amaretto sounding. <laughs> it, you know, it's like I used to be a youth pastor. For 15 years. You were a youth you pastor? Were. I okay. Was. Yeah, I was I like, I don't think Todd 15 years. Like, we were st- almost 50 and we were running kids events still. Well, that's true. The, that even senior ministers. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I could never quite because get you away loved from it, it so much. And we're all well, four and they of us here at this table also in youth group when we were kids. I know yes. you two were. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was in youth group. So mm-hmm. um, do you have any memories of, w- was youth group ridiculous or was it fantastic? Yes. 
Okay. Yeah. Because you see a lot both. right now, like online, and maybe it's just like things I follow and things Allison follows and other people. Um, you see lots right now about how ridiculous youth group was, like in the 90s. and Ridiculous in, in what sense? Oh, a lot of ways. Okay. <laughs> like a youth pastor standing on stage telling kids what to do and... And I don't know some some of the moralism stuff. Never ever have sex. Some of the cool, some of the cool, like yeah, we call it evang- evangelical. Evangelical. Here. Like you mean during so, youth group? I don't think that my my youth pastor didn't try to be cool. Like oh, he wasn't like he, a hey he, big guy youth pastor. No, no, he 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 was pretty nerdy, like in like a very adorable, like endearing sense. Um, and and so he leaned Does into he listen that. To this? I, <laughs> I don't know, honestly, I don't. I loved my youth it's pastor. It's a real problem. Todd, you knew my <laughs> youth pastor. He was a serious dude. I knew Actually, we worked with your youth pastor. Yes, yeah. we did. Yeah, he was a pro at avoiding paying taxes. <laughs> Do you remember how often he would talk to you about like, oh, you can yeah. write that off? Yeah, I know. Like that. <laughs> that sounds right. I remember thinking, we bought popcorn at the movie theater. Yeah, you, you can write, you can that, write off. that off. <laughs> but you were in youth group. We were talking before we started recording about clip art. Oh um, yeah. Do you remember clip art? Trying to make I sure your, do. Your Explain to us what clip art was. look cool. For do those you, who are like what the, the under 25 demographic. Do you remember yeah. clip art? What's Allison, you do? <laughs> but clip did you yeah. no, no, but did you clip art with scissors? The clip art. Like oh, physically no. clip See? it and tape it down. No. No. Yeah. Or maybe my my church just didn't Why do you think that. it was called clip art? I mean, I get the concept. You literally t- well, explain. So, <laughs> did you clip it out? You were, no, you did. Yeah, okay, you did. No. So, that was part of your job pastor, at youth ministry. He right? actually youth hired me to kind of do some of that administrative crafting? stuff that he hated doing. He it kind of was do clip art. Yeah, it was kind of like crafting. He had books, volumes, tombs of clip art. Some of it was like super cutesy and comic-y, and some of it was like yeah. Jesusy. And, and what and would cra- he use this clip art for? And like, oh, would you, like, posters and posters. Yeah, you literally cut it out, paste it, and then. Boards. Yeah, but you have oh to be like gosh. really careful with the scotch tape and like put it Ooh, down yeah. properly so, so you don't leave lines. Yeah, so like you can't that, tell. That Todd wouldn't necessarily be oh. good at. All the time we did it. We did it all the time. But Constantly. that carefully? We were pro clip oh, yeah. um, <laughs> See, early, look early years, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so many cared more. Uh, think of the hours we spent making videos from Mexico. So we took oh, we used all, to take two VCRs. Yeah, and it was, it was days and days of putting music on top and videos oh. and making... People it thought was, it was the greatest thing. And then we'd show it at church and people would be like, oh, this is the... This is amazing. (laughs) They've taken video and clipped it together and put music. But look at the young people. Look at the young people and and what they're doing. Look at what they did. We had graphics sometimes. Whoa, no, that's next like level. Oh my goodness. Of of, of a graphic in order to get it. Did you take a picture of the clipper? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I think part of youth group, because when I was going to youth group, it was, I mean, it was just fun to be with, to be with different people some of the people became lifelong friends mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and part of the ridiculousness was just you, you played wacky games like silly like when it's did you do giant jello slurping contests or oh we would do we jello would do, wars at my youth group like yeah. they would like tape garbage bags to the entire room and we would have trays of jello or turn your entire shirt basically then was you do like tons of fun stuff oh and then and, and then, then, then the next time serious right? bible study well, i remember we used to play floor hockey yeah, at, uh, down the street here. Yeah, school down here, and with first it was some other group. We weren't running it. Not the other one that did you come to this anyway? Yeah, and we would we would play floor anyway. hockey and uh, in this like elementary school gym, and then there'd be like a Bible talk. 
Mm. Yeah, and I never, right? you know what I mean? Yeah, I never mm-hmm. did that. Like, if we were just playing, we'd rent out the gym to it's do indoor soccer. <laughs> and we'd do... <laughs> and us evangelicals, we were like... You that, gotta you do gotta that. Just a social club. It's not they really... don't even have the Bible talk. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not really youth group unless you talk about Jesus. Yeah, and we, we did talk about Jesus, but there were some nights that were Bible study night and other nights that were just fun and games. And sometimes it was, you know, interlink. You did some fun games that were in, you know, they taught you some lesson i don't know i remember one about standing on milk crates and trying to pull each other off using uh like a tug of war on milk crates and there was this one guy who was a scout leader who was i think you know 55 or 60 at the time which at that time seemed Seemed really old (laughs) and he beat every single one of us because he just knew how his body but for some reason and i think we've mentioned it on this show before so um i can't get the name of the game suck and blow out of oh. my oh. <laughs> we have videotape evidence of that game like that's, let's yeah, never post that no, I remember when I was in youth group I started hating it around like grade 12 grade 11 like end of grade 11 into grade 12 Jen and I were already like a couple going out whatever state by then and the youth leaders would take it upon themselves to like when you had teams or whatever they would always split us up and well, sometimes yeah, that was the whole night, like a car You don't want to or, encourage and those so sorts of things. We didn't see each other that much because we were at different high schools and whatever. And so then that was supposed to be Friday like time night, together. We'd go to youth group and oh. it's like split them up, and I'm still kind of bitter. Oh, car rally! Yeah, really detrimentally affected your Our relationship. Our youth pastor yeah. would sit us down as soon as you started dating someone. You'd go to White Spot. There was a whole thing, and he'd sit down and very seriously tell your you, "Youth pastor, oh yeah, you will break up." <laughs> This is a sickness, I think. About, oh, no, it was a thing. Let's it was just a foregone conclusion here. He was probably right up, more often than this he was comes wrong. Up in the well, interview. Well, that's, that's kind of what Statistically, in a lot of those relationships. This though. comes up in the interview with Jessica talking about um, leaders trying to manage kind of relationships and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't think I ever did that. You never did I that. I never did that. I never thought it was the role of a youth minister to be like, do you think you should be... Well, you generally didn't feel like it was your role to police the morality yeah, of the but teenagers. but a lot of youth ministers a did, did. Well, And yeah. there was yeah. a lot of pressure from parents to be that. Yeah. Well, there were certainly a lot of rules, like, you know, if you went on a, like, a weekend retreat. Um, yeah. I there was a lot of policing. People that pray together lay together. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> I remember that. You remember? <laughs> that <laughs> was <laughs> not in my youth group. Uh-huh. At least not that yeah, I understand. I had that the other way around, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, because it, it was like, oh, we better do devotions now, <laughs> you know? Like, and he thought, oh, like, we gotta get serious about this. We're going out, oh, and, kind of, and uh, they all had good names too, right? What like, did youth group? Yeah, ours there was, was always we a were name. Alpha Omega. You were Alpha. Uh, Omega. Oh, youth. Eight two twelve four one. Eight two twelve four one. Oh, who's one? Oh, it's Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way to piece that I, one together. I chose not to answer that. <laughs> eight, two, 12, four, grade, one. That oh, is awesome. Okay, let me see if I can remember. Grade to grade 12. Was that like we a contest like a, a came up with We had like a junior youth and a senior youth. And then our That's junior boring. youth was called Jolt, which I think was stand for like Jesus, our loving teacher. Yes. yes. Um, and then solid but rock. Also Jolt that's Cola. pretty obvious. But then we also had like our young adults group was called Jacob's Well because our youth pastor thought it was funny to name it after the place that the people would go to like meet up in the Bible. Because, mm-hmm. you know, that's where Jacob went to meet his wives. And that's what you do at young adults group. Is you, right. go, you go to find <laughs> you your, go to wives. Wives. <laughs> your several wives. No, the polygamy was never a part of it. <laughs> at least not that I know. But th- we also, I mean, we did lots of interesting things like the like the Easter sunrise service where we would oh, go and before dark. And you and I would record cassette Trip, tapes. Trips we did. That would yeah, be timed the for dark, the distance from the, the church to the location we were going for we the sunrise Peter service, Gabriel's which ironically was of Christ facing west. 
Yeah, um, yeah we face the wrong way. <laughs> Every year. We were youth pastors, not like... <laughs> We weren't meteorologists. He didn't have a compass. <laughs> I don't think you need to be a meteorologist to know east and west. Oh my god! The sun came up behind us. Yeah. <laughs> well, it didn't ever really. It's though. like it's a surprise. It was usually raining. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was fun, and we put a lot of work into it. And I think you know well, overall, but different youth groups had yeah really different expressions. Like the I I worked with some who were very more in the moralistic. We got a, oh my gosh, these kids are, you know, Talk they're about in trouble. About sex and dating. Yeah. And then some youth groups that reached out, I, I know a couple of youth pastors who did a great job of reaching out to really fringe kids, like sort yep. of the, the really rough kids. Mm. And then at first the church would say, this is great. Look, we're bringing oh, in yeah. lost people. Ooh. And then all lost of a sudden they <laughs> realized, oh, these are some pretty lost people. And then they got really uncomfortable <laughs> they might and wanted be too you to far kick lost? them out of the youth group. Oh. Because oh, or we didn't want them to come to church because, you know, they had tattoos or they had long hair. or So your you know, outreach went too far? Yes, uh, we have reached too far. Yeah, yeah so it was, it was, it was interesting. Retreats were always fun. I always some of the longest retreats. lasting relationships, I agree with you, are from those kinds of things. I guess that's true for anybody, those formative years. Yeah, but I think that one of the things stuff, that, but that as I look in retrospect is I, I struggle sometimes to allow people that, that when I knew them during those years to go, they've probably developed a lot in the last 20 years, just like I have. Yeah, exactly. But like there's still exactly. part where... It's hard for me to get out of the mentality of like, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad there was no social media when I was a teenager. And I'm like, no, oh, that's really that. recorded. <laughs> oh. Truth. Well, because yeah. I'm like, there was a lot of stupid things that we did and said, and I'm glad that there's not proof of that. Yeah. Very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. But we, it's interesting. We, we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> there's some pictorial proof of things. Well, yeah. Jessica has a lot to say about youth group and they're great stories because uh well for her there's it was some super difficulty positive. and then there's some fantastic positive life-changing mm -hmm. things that uh and so it's it it really is a great interview we hope that you enjoy it we're uh we hope to have jessica back to talk some more oh my goodness i'm sure she has so things. many stories um <laughs> so uh so we're really glad that she joined us thanks so much thanks yes. for the amaretto the amaretto oh my god no can't do it okay cheers cheers, cheers. So we're pleased to be joined today in conversation with Jessica Leslie, who I knew as Jessica Morris. And Jessica is all the way in Australia. Yeah. Other side. This is like our furthest interview, I think, that we've done. Oh, really? I think so. Well, what would be further? I don't know. I'm not sure anything could be Nothing further. Could be further away. Exactly. Be, I mean, Eastern United States. Antarctica. Antarctica. Yeah, we haven't. <laughs> wait, wait, no no guests from Antarctica. So thank yet. you, Jessica, yes, thank for joining you. us. Welcome. Where are you in Australia? Newcastle. It's um, two and a half hours north of Sydney. Two and a half hours north of Sydney, and uh, on the coast. And how have things been going for you amidst uh, COVID, and you know, as the pandemic comes to an end? And oh, I definitely been? did a happy dance on Tuesday because I was able to drop my son off at school. Yay. And and my daughter went to uh, preschool for the day too, so I had six oh. hours by myself oh. after oh four months lockdown. And I was like, "Yeah, it party. must have been almost like eerily quiet." It's really funny because, like, I I just went and had a nap. It was like I just needed to recover from the four months of my children being around all the time. Yeah, no, we did you homeschool? Yeah, like, or we yeah. don't call it homeschool. We can call it that. Sure, we'll call it that. <laughs> 
<laughs> when when I, I quote unquote homeschooled my kids <laughs> yeah. for like when because uh yeah our schools were closed like after March break of 2020 until the end of the school year that was like the worst four months of like I think my interactions yeah. with like I realized in that moment I'm like I am not built to do this on any sort of no. so that's you too Jessica <laughs> yeah I'm like how do you how do my kids still love me I don't, I don't understand no no it was terrible <laughs> every day was just terrible oh I did not enjoy yeah. it. So, wow. I'm very, very glad for you that company. that, that has you been something company. you can, you can so have some time. Here's why I wanted to speak with Jessica, because uh, when I was a youth pastor. Way back in the day. Years ago, <laughs> Jessica was in the youth group. That's the, those are the kinds of language. That's the thing as I, things were called. I think most people who listen to the podcast understand the concept youth pastors of in, youth, in youth pastors group. and youth groups. Yeah. And Jessica uh, was you know, fantastic. And all, but I learned some pieces of Jessica's story um, uh, through the years, a little bit at the time, not necessarily that much. And it's come to, you know, my attention or knowledge, or as I reflect back on it, I realized that, that Jessica has um, a certain perspective, some of it firsthand on some of the things that uh, people find difficult in the church, some of the harm in the church, some of the abuse in the church, uh, some of the issues around fear and control and power. Um, and so I thought that, Jess, you could bring a perspective to us and to mm -hmm. our listeners. Um, what did it mean to live in some of these things? At the time, you were just this, you know, you were a kid that didn't, you know, wasn't from our church, but was mm -hmm. a friend of other people young people who were in our church and then, Oh, Jessica's here now and she's part of our youth group and it's fantastic. And it was super fun. And, and, uh, but there were other things going on and you had a certain kind of background. And so maybe as much as you want, how did you mm -hmm. get involved in church? What are your first memories of church? Um, just start talking to will answer or ask <laughs> some questions along the way. Please. I might as well have been born in a church because, um, I grew up as a missionary kid in Ecuador um, so I was born there. And when I was um, seven, I moved back to Canada because my mom is American and my dad is Canadian. Um, so there are missionaries there for almost 14 years. Um, and they had a lot of kids. Wow. <laughs> There's eight kids in my family. Really? Oh, my goodness. Um, but um, they were Plymouth Brethren, which is a very fundamentalist Christian um, so in our church growing up, um, there was no guitars, no, um, piano, even it was just like organ music and hymns. And I had to wear a head covering to church. And my dad told me if I ever forgot my head covering on a Sunday, I'd have to wear a paper towel on my head from the bathroom. So it was like really strict. I always had to wear a dress, um, God forbid I put on some pantaloons. No, some <laughs> the whole thing might have just crumbled, Jess. Like, who knows? Yeah. And to this day, I can't wear nylons because I'm so traumatized <laughs> from all the nylons, nylons I had to wear. Nylons are really? terrible anyway, though. Like, uh, that's yeah. not something you're missing. So you're how old at this time? Seven, eight, nine, ten, more? Like Yeah, well, so I was seven when I moved back to Canada. And then um, the church that had called my parents back from missions because that's how it worked. So it, they were they like sent... a sponsoring church or something? Exactly. Okay. They sponsored my family to be missionaries. 
um, in Ecuador. So they decided it was time for my parents to come back and they got us a rental in Vancouver and um, I was homeschooled. So life didn't change too much inside mm. the home for me because I was homeschooled back in Ecuador as well. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but of course my surroundings changed, you know, like I remember going out and seeing, going out in the front yard and seeing all of these beautiful yellow flowers and picking them with my little sister. And then our Jewish neighbor, uh, Mrs. Wolf came out and she's like, oh, aren't you girls lovely for picking all the dandelions? <laughs> ah, and you're like, we don't, like, we just think they're pretty flowers. And she showed us where the garbage was <laughs> to take them to the back, to the back garbage and you were throw like our weeding. beautiful flowers away. Oh my goodness. What was that? She thought you were weeding. Yeah, she thought I'm we were kidding. weeding. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, my parents' marriage was really volatile because my dad was so um, spiritually controlling, spiritually abusive, um, financially abusive, all of the abuse, really. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a really tough family to grow up in, but I don't think that I really had an idea that we were living in an abusive family um, because I didn't see how a lot of other families lived. It was just we didn't your have, normal. Yeah, we didn't. I mean, our friends were our sisters. Like we were like we just hung out with each other um, and we didn't have we were we had very limited access to TV if we were allowed TV, you know, and VHS tapes. We would watch like Sound of Music like we weren't we weren't allowed to listen to even um, Christian music that had any type of real beat to it. It had to be, yeah, it was like little kid. Do you remember Maranatha tapes and stuff yeah, like that? Oh yeah, yeah. My, my mom was into those. Yeah, showing my age by saying- So those were okay? <laughs> those those were okay. Cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we like had a record player. So we kind had of worship music or something? Christian rec- uh, yeah. <laughs> Sure. Like little kid songs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think around the time I was nine or 10, I started to really see things were, uh, I probably had that realization that this wasn't normal that cause I, cause my older sister, she's, um, so I'm third eldest of the eight kids, but my oldest sister, she copped most of the abuse from my dad Mm -hmm. because she was seen as rebellious for any critical thinking that she had. Um, so it's like my dad always thought he could have control over his girls. And then when he started losing control because Shrizma became a teenager and started thinking for herself, um, that, that's when the abuse, I think, escalated for everybody. Um, and she, she's really, um, like I still thank her to this day because she's really the one who got us, who spent mm-hmm. years trying to get us out of the abusive situation with my dad. And continually, you know, fighting my mom and saying, this isn't okay. This is abuse. Mm. Like I wouldn't have known otherwise. Um, I just thought it was, this is normal to be miserable, (laughs) you know? And um, that she was the one who kind of like, I would start listening to my dad preach from the pulpit and be like, oh. Oh, So he's preaching at the church at the time? All the time. Yeah. Because in the Brethren Church, there's no pastor. It's oh, just, yeah. um, there's speaking, an eldership and then there's elders. different, yeah. there's different men in the church who are asked to speak each Sunday on like a roster. Okay. So there's a morning service and an evening service and there's different speakers. So then also because my dad was a, um, was a missionary in the past, he 
was invited to all the other brethren churches around the lower mainland mm-hmm. to, to preach at their churches. So I would just be sitting, sitting in the pew, watching him preach and think, who is this guy? Because this is not the guy that I, this is not the dad I have at home. Mm. Like, you know, um, yeah, I just, and then I started to go, oh my gosh, he's a total hypocrite, you know? And he was so charismatic at church and everyone loved him. And they'd be like, oh, are you a Morris girl? Are you Ian Morris's daughter? As if, so they're saying that, they're asking that as if like, oh, lucky you. Yeah, lucky you. Yeah. and Because he's viewed as uh, like a a leader in your community? Oh, big time. Big time. Like everybody knew who he was. So it's kind of like that, um, you know, pastor's kid thing. Yeah. Um, I don't think that you did that to your kids, Todd. (laughs) No, I hope I, I, I like people, to think not. People tried to. No. I, I think you intentionally kind of held loosely to things with them. I think because yeah. you saw. I think the the out, like the fallout for other kids. And if Jen and I, if Jen and I made any, and I think Jen would have been really errors, upset about that. It was, and she didn't say errors. You, you you kind of err on one side or the other. And ours was with our kids always to say, we simply won't allow them to be kind of uh, judged based on like my job. Yeah. And so uh, we're gonna let them let them as if it's a but we're going to be glad and proud about them being who they are yeah uh, even and their identity if, is not their dad yeah and even if that you know it, it's not going to be their job to make me look good or something like that no but i think that that can be unusual particularly at least in expressions of of evangelical christianity that that i've encountered is that the the family is is certainly a reflection of the parents and so i, I would assume like I know pastor's kids in, in my Baptist church growing up, there was totally extra pressure on them to not mess up and to, to you know, make the family look good. And I would imagine, uh, Jessica, that there would be kind of a similar sort of thing in, in the Brethren 100%. Church, even though, well, particularly, it would almost be heightened in your experience, I would imagine, because your dad just wasn't like this this well-known guy in your church community. Right. He was well-known within the other church communities. And so he was kind of yeah. like this big deal everywhere. And so it's, as easier, you're saying, to, it's like, easier than to bullshit too, because you show up as the guest speaker, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're already kind of and the missionary credibility star. already. Yeah. You're one of the, the brethren that move around from place to place. And hmm. yeah. And, um, my dad also used the four older children. So me and my sisters, um, I, I feel like he exploited us because, you know, on any given Sunday, he could just, say, and now my daughters are going to come up here and sing this song for you. Oh, so you were props. Are you serious? So we were performers. I didn't know any of that. Oh my goodness. You didn't know that? No, Jess, I never knew. That's not okay. So we would have times where we should have been doing, you know, math, English, science, whatever. And instead we were practicing songs that we could perform with actions for... As um, as all good 90s kids, there's always actions. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember my older sister used to complain, um, you know, dad, if you're going to um, call us up to perform, well, I don't even think she used that word. If you're going to call us up to sing, yeah. um, can you please give us a chance to practice the day before? But mm-hmm. oftentimes he wouldn't, he would just call on us and we'd have to know our moves and mm-hmm. um, sing do you, together. Do you kind of identify that as like a, a means of control, like with the, the, refusing to um to kind of adhere to like a a schedule or a boundary that he's like no you're gonna do this when I need you to do this 
Oh, absolutely. We had no choice. And the whole church is looking at you. And well, so you're just, yeah, you you don't just have a choice beautifully get up. Yeah. And if, you know, and if we had shown any, um, I guess, facial expression that showed that we didn't like what we oh, had to right. do, we would have been punished for it. Yeah. So, um, and then we also had to take whole psalms and memorize them and perform them with actions as well. Like we each had a different part and we had to be like the trees by the water and like act out the river. And my sister had a little train whistle for we're going on the hallelujah line, that song. Yes, I never knew any of this. Yeah. So That's how, why I'm such a great performer now, guys. Yeah. <laughs> when did, so you're growing up in this. Yeah. When does the, the fissure oh, start? Like when do you start to go? what's going on here and what I'm feeling and who I am. This isn't what I thought it was. I mean, you, you identified one piece that you're looking at your dad thinking, who is this man? But in terms of your own identity, your own kind of sense of the world, when do you go like, this is, this is effed up. Like this is, what, what are the first, cause even. Yeah. Well, I probably around the time my mom was, um, which baby was she pregnant with? Oh my God. <laughs> So many. Um, so we are still living in Vancouver. And uh, I remember my dad um, pushed my mom down on my sister's birthday and she was heavily pregnant. And then I kind of like, whoa, this is, hmm. I don't like, I don't like him. You know, I really don't like him. Um, he's scary. He's big. He's loud. He's mean. And, um, and then we, my mom had been trying to find um, housing that we could afford. So, because we couldn't afford the rent in Vancouver anymore. So she we, found this townhouse. You mean being with your dad too, or are you guys getting out? No, with my dad too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was all on my mom because my dad didn't want us to move into this low cost, um, housing situation, um, in Richmond, uh, just over the bridge, Oak street. Ah, remember things. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, um, she just said, we're doing it. And my mom, you know, so pregnant, she loaded up our 15 passenger van and started putting things in it wow. and got us to do it too. And, um, I remember we came back from one of the runs we had made to the townhouse to move stuff. And it was me and my older sister in the car. And my dad was just there in the middle of the road, in the dark, in a total fury. And he opened up the driver's door and pulled my mom out of the car he was so mad at her for moving. Um, and um, my sister remembers it a lot better than I do, but yeah, apparently it was pretty rough. I just remember being totally terrified and I knew things were not hmm. going well. And um, yeah, everything kind of just went into a steep decline after that. And I think around, so we moved there when I was 10. So I think around age 11 was the first time I remember shutting myself in the bathroom in the dark and going, I just want to die. How do I kill myself? Because I was just so miserable and I just didn't want to exist. Um, you know, I would write little poems about my dad and his cruelty. And I used to like, I, when I was a teenager, I used to pray that he would get hit by a truck on the way home from work because I didn't want him to come home. Hmm. Um, yeah. There was like surveillance going on. So he'd record our calls. Um, he, he put a cell phone in my mom's car that caused it to short. And her mechanic found this, that he'd been tracking her all around um, Vancouver. And this is after she separated from him. She found out he'd been tracking her. But um, 
yeah, I need to probably go back a little in the story because yeah, we were going to talk yeah. about um, yeah, Bill, we'll get the Bill other, Gothard. Yeah, we'll get to, oh yeah, and then and then yeah. how did meanwhile is is the Bill Gothard stuff part of this? Yes, the Bill Gothard because that was so all part of the Plymouth homeschooling stuff and Bill Gothard. I mean, my oh, goodness, that, yeah, uh, that's tough. So now, umbrella of power, the whole thing that comes with like male authority. Uh, Kids should be compliant. All this mm-hmm. stuff. So who, who, you know, for whoever's seen um, the Duggar family on TLC, yeah, um, that was that homeschooling program is the same one that the that the Duggars do do or did. I don't know if they still do it, um, but um, yeah, the the only I guess good thing was that we were far enough away from the Bill Gothard Institute. Um, I think it was called the basic life yeah, institute something like that basic youth conflicts or something basic life institute and basic youth conflicts or something bill gothard yeah i i remember okay. back in the day yeah and it got but it was in america so institute. thankfully we were far enough away that we couldn't uh we didn't have to go to all of their conferences and get oh really infiltrated goodness. in the into that cult but did you know they had a, did he become a leader in that as well no okay he wishes yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, uh, so every, every day we'd have a time in our homeschooling that we would have to do, uh, these things called wisdom booklets that came from the Institute. Um, and I remember hearing my mom arguing with my dad saying, Ian, they need to do other things today besides the wisdom booklet. They have to do math and English and, you know, all those school things. Yeah. And we're sitting there talking about, um, uh, you know, how women should have their hair worn and, you know, you know, being taught that women, um, it's women's job to be modest. It's, it's a woman's job to stay under the umbrella of her husband. Hmm. And I remember my mom had this like baking dish that she filled with water. And then she had these little like, um, cocktail umbrellas, probably the only time I would have ever seen a cocktail umbrella. (laughs) And little people, and she's like, this is what happens when you step out from underneath dad's authority. And if dad steps out underneath God's authority, and she would like pour water on these little cocktail umbrellas. And if you weren't under the, if your little person wasn't under the umbrella, you'd get wet, right? And so I'm like, oh, don't want to step out from under the umbrella. Bad things happen. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's so it. much not okay with that. Yeah. I just keep thinking, you know, I, I keep thinking, and then you showed up at, at church, right? And I... Yeah, well, and that was through going to Anvil Island, the yeah. Bible camp in BC. Um, and you were speaking that week. Okay. And I, I remember I was arguing with my mom. I didn't want to go to camp because I didn't know anybody and I was terrified. Mm. Um, but then I ended up going when I was 14 and it was like life changing. Uh, it was incredible. I'd never heard somebody um, preach like you, Todd. I never knew it could be exciting and fun to listen to somebody talk about God. I just knew it as really dull and old Testament and boring and like, Oh, I'd rather be doing something else. <laughs> like, Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, I, I met all these people who yeah. just ended up being like best friends for life yeah. with me. Um, and then I would take, I, st- I started um, taking the bus all the way from yeah, Richmond I to remember. get to North Vancouver. Yeah. Holy, yeah. you must have been as very motivated. <laughs> oh my was, goodness. Because I, I had found a safe place. Yeah. I'd 
No, and I had to fight my mom tooth and nail to let me go to Sutherland um, because she still wanted me to go to the Brethren Church in Vancouver with her. And I'm like, Mom, 16th Avenue or something. Yeah, 16th Avenue Gospel Chapel. I was like, Mom, I'm a teenage girl who wants to To go go to to church. church. (laughs) I'm a good kid. Like, I'm trying to get myself there. I have to take all these buses, the SkyTrain, the C bus, and another bus to get there. And then I have to do it all again on on the way home. So like, I'm wanting <laughs> you yeah, guys looking like, at really? each other like, oh my God. You should really be like, as I would imagine with your mom being like super like Christian, super churchy, all this sort of stuff. You're like, this is about the best case scenario, mom. Come on. Well, except yeah. this, right? Now, were they separated by this point or no? Um, they separated the year after that. But my that year when I was 14, my dad was hardly around. So if he did come home, he would sleep on the couch and usually be gone by morning. Okay. So he'd, he'd, he'd come home before, like after I'd been gone to bed and oh, then okay. like to the point where our couch started to smell bad because mm-hmm. he slept on it so much. There is this like protection of, I can see, you know, your mom and, and especially in, if there've been abusive situations, situations of, um, uh, you know, abuse of, of, well, of any power control, um, domination type of stuff that uh, when you're in those systems, as you know, even the people who are being harmed by them can in a sense kind of protect them. And you, you, even if it was just another church, it was a piece of you finding your own identity or Mm, embracing your own identity outside of that system. I can see how that would be a threat. Yep. And I, I mean, I immediately saw you as like a father figure, right? Yeah. Cause, and you know, these other youth leaders and stuff, I was just like, Oh my gosh, I'm creating my own family. Yeah. These are the people I want to mm. be with and I'll travel to the ends of the earth. To yeah. Get we to did these travel and, and we traveled too. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you, were, it's interesting cause my perspective at the time and I was, well, the same amount of younger that you were too, like just, you know, <laughs> but, uh, so I just saw you right away as somebody so full of life. And so when you tell me these stories of what happened as you know, when you were, a child. Uh, so that's kind of why I'm thinking through like, as you're discovering kind of who you are, your identity, your way of seeing the world, you're, you know, you're, you were that right away in the youth group. Right. And now what I'm hearing is maybe I'm not trying to, maybe uh, also you were able to be that there. Yeah. Right. You could. Yeah. You, that's what I found at camp. I was like, Oh my gosh, I can be loud. I can yeah. be um, even like I can be woman, you know, yeah. like there's, I mean, I look back now and I'm like, Oh, there's like a little bit of feminist Jess in there yeah. back in the day. And I didn't know it. Cause I yeah. wouldn't have even known what feminism was, right. but <laughs> yeah, like, um, just being, I was away from the whole, um, identity of being a Morris kid, being Ian Morris's daughter. I, I mean, there were still people at camp who knew who I was because of my dad, Yeah. but, um, for the most part, and. I was just like, oh, I just get to live it up this week. And mm. it's just fun all the time. And um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Now, but. Eventually, <laughs> you, eventually you lived with a family from the church as well, right? Is that, did they, yeah. did they know about some of this? And did they see some of this? Or why would they have kind of reached out in such a way? Well, that story is actually really amazing. And I, I lived with um, the Pasmans um, in grade 12. And... Um, the way that came about, I think 
might like if if I ever had a moment in my life where I'm like God really exists and this is real proof of that it would have been that moment and I only actually really told Heather that a few years ago and she started crying because Heather Pasman had I didn't know that didn't know my side of the story um of how I came to be at her house <laughs> in in on my side I guess yeah. so I had gone on a missions trip with you to um, San Francisco with yeah, the youth group. Inner city, San Francisco. In the, inner uh, city. And, you know, we're doing all this work with homeless people and we're working at the food bank. And we went to this really, um, I guess it was like an intense experience to go to this um, shelter and they, and we were feeding, feeding the homeless. And then afterwards um, the guy who ran it, had us uh, in an upstairs meeting room um, kind of debriefing us and asking us how that was for us. And Jennifer Pasman was sitting in the room and I actually didn't know her very well. She was another girl in the youth group who was a year younger than me. Um, and, you know, in high school, that's kind of, that's yeah. a kind of a difference a sometimes. Other, yeah, so you yeah, don't get yeah. to, yeah, I don't get to know people in other grades, but um, so she was sitting there listening to me debrief to the leader and saying, I'm just, I'm just amazed like this could be this could be my family if we didn't have the Canadian welfare system my mom and us kids we could be homeless like I'm just seeing now how close we could come hmm. to being totally homeless because you know and I explained I grew up in an abusive home my mom finally got the courage to get away from my dad a couple of years ago um and you know we're living on the wealth on welfare now and my mom's trying to become a nurse or get her nursing degree um you know when she's got eight kids by herself um yeah so jen heard that story funnily she left the mission trip i think it was a couple days early to join her family on their family holiday in hawaii so uh, what yeah. a contrast <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so jen told me um once i i went to live with the pasmas jen told me I was um, in the in the swimming pool with my family and I just said to them, hey, you know, what do you think about having Jessica Morris come and live with us? This is her situation at home. And she's like, I just really think that this is what God wants us to do. I mean, Jen had no idea that when I was at home, you know, I'd come home from school and I would just go go into my bedroom and shut the door and cry and cry and cry and just mm. pray, God, please, please give me a new family. And I thought that's so stupid, Jess, like God's not going to give you a new family. You're stuck with the one you got. Like what an outrageous prayer. You can't get a new family from praying. <laughs> like it doesn't happen. But then here it was my, my mom's coming to me on the first day of, of grade 12. And I think I'm just going to my regular high school in Richmond and saying that the Pasmans have asked if I if I want to move in with them, and that she she knew the family through church stuff, um, through the church community sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So um, she was fine with that because she really trusted them. And then wow. you know they picked they picked me up, they um, took me overnight, and I walked into this bedroom, and there's a queen bed and a desk and my own landline and my a bathroom I only have to share with one person. Um, you know, Heather Pasman, who does like the laundry for me all the time and makes my lunch. And, um, so anyway, the next day she took me to, to the new high school to just give me a taste. If I wanted to do this, this is what it would so be like. I, I know, oh. the, I know Heather, I could, 
you know? Yeah. Like, oh, I don't want it to be overwhelming for her, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. I can just picture this. Yeah. And so then she's driving me back to Richmond because, you know, she doesn't want to pressure me or anything. And then I'm, I'm going, I remember going over the second Narrows Bridge and looking out and just going, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Because the devil you know is, Uh, is better than the devil you do. hmm. Like you don't. Right. So I was really terrified of moving in with this new family that I barely knew. Um, but the alternative was living in absolute misery every day. Cause even though my dad was out of the house, my mom was still going through all of the drama with him and like, there's a restraining order on him. And then she'd yeah. still bring him, she'd still date him. So there was a lot anyway, that moment. And I just felt like God just spoke to me in that moment, you know, not audibly, but it was like, Jess, you have been praying every single day for a new family and I'm giving that to you and you're going to turn it down. And that's when I made up my mind, I'm going to move in with the Pasmans. Um, Cause I was like, God's looking after me. And I mean, I still have that relationship yeah. with them today. I only lived with them for about 10 or 11, maybe yeah, 11 months or something, but that was life-changing for and me. You, and you I, got graduated? To, I got to be a teenager Yeah, because yeah. I didn't have to babysit all the time all the time I was babysitting. It was, I just got to be selfish and focus on myself and focus on graduating. And I had a dad who helped me with history class, like (laughs) amazing. (laughs) He helped me pass a mom, you know, and then a mom who would advocate for me with teachers everywhere all the time. Yeah. All the time. And and they paid for all this graduation stuff for me. There was three formal dresses. They were just amazing. They are amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Some of the best people ever. I, uh, I, I mean, so much in that story strikes me and knowing that people, of course, I get emotional hearing that. Um, mm. But the genesis of the story, this, the, you know, the account of being in San Francisco and doing this debriefing and and Jen, Jennifer being being younger, hearing your story, then going off to Hawaii and, and by her account, being in a swimming yeah. pool. and see, In other words, not only did a young person do this, not only was she moved by your story and didn't know you super well, Mm-mm. but then went to her parents and her parents listened to her. Mm-hmm. So it's it, the wow. agency they're giving her is such a, a complete contrast to the kind of thing you had been living in. You have, yeah. you have these parents, a father too, listening to his, his young, young, young daughter, daughter going, yeah, we can, yeah. and then going the extra mile based on her saying, I think maybe we should think about this. Yeah. And trusting God moving in her heart, you know, like trusting that word, like that, that's just pretty amazing to me. And that's why I think through all the things that came after with um, the other spiritual abuse I experienced that I haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but we'll, we'll save that, you we'll know, spiritual little, trauma we'll for... We'll have an intermission. Oh. Yeah, I'll do a little intermission thing. And then... <laughs> <laughs> now or... Sure, you want the intermission now? <laughs> Just, it made me think of like the, you, you, I, I have a huge love for the comedian Hannah Gadsby and in her Douglas special, she's Do like... you know Hannah Gadsby? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, kindred spirit. She's like, Woo! if I had known that you know trauma would have been so you know lucrative, yeah. I wouldn't have gone and put all of my trauma eggs in one basket <laughs> like an but, idiot. Yeah. Has your trauma been lucrative yet, Jess? <laughs> not at all. Not okay. yet. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure. In, in Hannah Gadsby's defense, I'm not sure she ever thought it would be. Yeah, I still think it could. I don't, happen. It could it happen could for happen Jessica. For Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, there is a book in all this, I'm yeah, sure. Oh, guaranteed. Oh, like Dar- some sort of like special intermission. or intermission? Intermission is this. Um, have we talked about this? Have you seen the show Made? Is it on Netflix there yet? 
Heck yes. I was like the first person to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So you watched uh, all 10 episodes and such. Do you know where oh, that took? You know I binged it hard. Do you know where that took place in real life? Yes, I do. Yeah. Because be. I was watching it going, this is home. And I, oh. I knew that all of it was like Vancouver Island. Well, it was and filmed in Victoria. I got right on the Google. Okay. Oh. So it was filmed in Victoria. But Stephanie Land, who wrote the book, made. Um, and so she's the the young mom in there. That um, That was all in and around Whidbey Island. And oh, yeah. Burlington, Washington. And so do you, you went down to Whidbey I've Island. Been to, I've been to Whidbey yeah, Island. Yeah, that's where we Bible camp church, there. Lakeside church camp. Bible camp. Lakeside, Lakeside Bible, Bible camp. camp. Good memories um, from there. And uh, and so do you remember if you drove across the Deception Pass Bridge, but before you got there, there were these two really ugly bridges over that like slough type of thing. Like it's just they're two, you know, up and down these big bridges. I can't and then remember. You, and then, yeah. Those big ugly bridges is where that the car accident in that show happened. Hmm. Oh, where her, you know, she had her kid in the car and all that kind of stuff. And, but, um, you know, these stories of, of abuse and, and there's that in there, domestic violence, um, mm-hmm. all the things that are in it. How, how does that, this is the intermission and now we're yeah. back to it again. So that was like a real, it was, it was a short interlude. So you said you watched it really early. You binged it. How does it, yeah. how do you think, how do you think you watch those things differently having lived through what you've lived through? Yeah, I think, um, I think for so long, my mom, I mean, domestic abuse wasn't really something that was talked about a lot in, in the eighties and nineties, like it is today. So, um, I think my mom didn't really know she was being abused because some of the stuff was really subtle. And I mean, when it's mental abuse, you don't really know that you're in it until you get out control. You don't even know what it looks like. So I'm, you know, and I really, I liked that the maid didn't focus so much on the physical abuse no. because it's all that mental abuse, the verbal abuse, the power, the, con- the control, the, the, the control, but, mm. and even how the control sneaks up and you don't even see it coming. You don't realize you're being financially controlled when you're being financially controlled. Right. It's just after the fact, mm. like, oh, he took my car away. Oh, was you know? that astounding that scene? And then the next episode opens with her, like in that imaginative pit. Yeah, and she's sinking into the couch yeah. into a black hole, and I'm like, man, I've been there. Huh. That's rough, rough. Um, but yeah, it was my older sister, like I said, who who helped my mom realize she was in an abusive situation, and then that took years of my sister's hard work to, um, you know, try and help my mom regain some control in her life. Um, my my sister was actually the reason we got into public school finally. So um, in grade 12, my sister, you know, she kept telling my parents, I'm not getting an education, a proper education. Because By this time, we lived in a housing complex. So my sister and all of us were able to make friends because you couldn't live in that housing complex. So all of a sudden that bubbles burst and you're realizing this isn't normal. I mean, we're living in, in, in a 38 unit complex. And so we can see how all their uh, kids yeah. are treated and they're all from low socio demographic families, but even like, you know, those, a lot of them were still treated a lot better than we right. were. And they yeah. could, they could, we could see their faces when my dad would come out in a rage, you know, over a snowball fight gone wrong. Um, and like, he took one of our friends and shoved him up against the wall and said, don't you do that to my daughter. And it's like, oh my God, the shame and embarrassment from watching your dad abuse someone else. Like you brought that outside. You can't even, you're not even hiding it now. Yeah. (laughs) You know, people can see you. So anyway, my older sister, she had a boyfriend in the, in the complex 
and she could see that other people were getting a better education than we were at home. Um, so she told our parents, you need to enroll us in public school. This is ridiculous. You just keep having babies. And then mom can't, mom can't do this all on her own. You can't expect her to. And then you're not helping mom with, like she's saying this to my dad, you're not helping mom with all, all of the homeschooling duties, even though it's something you're pushing her to do. So sure. They refused. Well, my dad refused and he has all the control. So she took herself on a bus through to what, what used to be Richmond high. I don't think it's still there, but yeah, she went to Richmond high. She walked up to the front desk and she said, I am here to enroll for grade 12. And they're like, Oh, okay. Well, um, you need a a parent or guardian to be able to, um, enroll in, in year 12. She's like, my parents won't let me get a proper education. I am being homeschooled and they will not let me enroll in public school. So you're going to enroll me today? Oh. <laughs> like she was just like, boom. <laughs> I mean, that's how I remember the story being like <laughs> this super courageous yeah. um, 17 year old girl just being like, I'm taking back my power. And um, she paid the price at home. Like the abuse amped up. And I remember one night I got out of bed to go and protect her from my dad because he had her like, you know, up against the bed. If I know people can't see me, but I'm like, I've got my hand on my neck. So um, he was pushing her up against the bed and I tried to come between them. And I knew that would come at a cost to me because then I would be smacked or slapped or whatever, pushed out of the way really aggressively. Um, And, and then and I was just, I think I, re- I was asking my mom to call 911. She was just standing there like she was a frozen, I don't know. She was just frozen and she was so terrified of him. Um, and then the next thing I know, my sister's being pushed down the stairs to the first floor. Um, I guess you call it ground floor not in Canada. But yeah, to, um, yeah, she's just being kicked out the front front door, physically kicked out. Like my dad had his foot, you know, in her butt <laughs> and nowhere to go. And, um, yeah, that was a really dark night, but that's such a turning point mm-hmm. because I was like, okay, now like my mom had to start making decisions, you know, cause she's yes. like, okay, these are, things are getting really out of hand. And it was the whole culture too, of like in the brethren church, you don't divorce. No, it's not really an option. No, no it's, it's so it's sinful. Thing. Like you can't divorce. Um, and I remember finding passages in the Bible to try and show my mom, like, oh, Hey, I think goodness. God can make an exception for this. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause these are, this is how husbands are supposed to treat their wives. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you, was anything happening from the church perspective at this point? Did anybody in the larger church like system intervene? Or? No, eventually, eventually I'm sure they knew. Did he face so any my kind mom, of sanction or? My mom would always report big incidents to the church elders and then they would take my mom and my dad out for a coffee and sit my dad down and tell him that he needed to stop his behavior basically that was the general gist but then um you know my older sisters also had to go to meetings with the elders by themselves so like a teenage girl by herself with a group of men um, and be chastised for missing a Sunday of church. Why weren't you in church? And they, um, I guess I felt a little bit of this at Sutherland by certain adults as well. Like, oh, she's from a broken family Mm. or like, Mm. you know, she's, she's acting this way. Like she's being 
so outgoing and loud and brash and blunt because she's from this broken family, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, my sisters were, were made to go to these meetings with the elders to get their behavior back in line with the church. Um, and so my dad was too. And then eventually um, my, the, there was two meetings, two church services at our church in, on a Sunday morning. And our family, for some reason, missed the first service, which we pretty much never did. It the was breaking called of the breaking bread. of bread. Yeah. You yeah. know it. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Super boring. Yeah. Super boring. <laughs> I much preferred the second session, which meant I got to go to Sunday school. Um, but anyway, so we had missed that service. And then when we got to church, everyone was looking at us really weird. And like, I just felt really other. Um, it was a strange feeling. And then I'd found out, found out later, I found it sometime that morning. I think maybe my mom told us all that when we hadn't been in the first service, we'd been at home, the church had, one of the elders had got up and read a letter to our whole church explaining that my dad would no longer be allowed to preach anywhere in the lower mainland. He um, would pretty much be like stripped of any Hmm. of those duties or uh, like, you know, he couldn't preach anymore. Basically they were taking his rights away and that he'd been abusing his wow. family, which had been a huge secret for years. Um, but, you know, interestingly, my mom still copped a lot of um, backlash in the church community, even through other women's prayer circles and stuff. Mm. There was like that prayer gossip going on. And then we're going to tell all of her business uh-huh. And like she had friends who would call her and say, I was at this prayer meeting and the women were praying for you. And then they started talking like they knew about your situation. And it was, it got really terrible. Like, you know, Mary wasn't a good wife to Ian and poor Ian, he's losing his family and his kids. And it was all geared towards him and he's the victim. And they so, you know, I remember their, her friends would be like, you don't know the story. Like, that's mm. not what's happening. Mary has put up with so much abuse. He's not this nice guy you see at church. Um, so she had to cop that on top of everything. Were they still- so it took, it took a lot of bravery to get away. I was going to say, were they still together at that point, like on that Sunday? Um, I can't remember if that came before right or after around. the separation. Okay. That might have been like the day that my uh, mom was okay. like, we're separated. We're done. Uh- and then... Um, and my dad was totally blindsided because my mom would go across the backyard to the neighbor's backyard, who's actually still her best friend today, <laughs> and use her phone to call a lawyer to organize a separation. So I would be fighting my mom in the kitchen going, this is what dad did this time. And he's so horrible. And when are you going to leave him? And like begging her to leave. And um, she'd be like, don't be so disrespectful of your father. But the whole time she's going across the backyard to try and get away from him. And I was like, man, she, and she had to keep it all a secret because of course, of course our phones were tapped and my, my dad would leave tape recorders around the house. So mm-hmm. it wasn't safe for my mom to do any talking in the house. Um, and I mean, she even found a video camera. He was filming her as well without her knowing. So, um, intense. so you get out of that or it, there's a change. Um, and then you're part of Sutherland for a while, which again, I was nothing but thankful for and saw that the, your like just 
joy actually in life and i always liked that you were willing to say things it's you know I mean? like, <laughs> like i like this person a lot is that maybe because you like to say things like that Todd? probably yeah also I, just I, like, kindred spirit I think, you know be, all, and for me even back then as a young, as a youth pastor not maybe typical whatever that means and being the other kinds of people who could kind of shake the system up a little bit. I was like, yes. yes. Right? Yeah. I think that's and why I was so drawn to you too. Yeah, because I was like, like oh, this. he's not trying to confine me. No, no. Mm. The opposite. Like, well, yeah. He's, he's letting me be fully me. Yeah. And wow, was that your first experience in, in church with that sort of leadership that wasn't trying to dominate, that wasn't trying to control, that wasn't trying 100%. to like constrict you. Really? Yeah, you don't like lines, Todd. Yeah, not like. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was it was night and day. I didn't know that church could be hmm. like that. Huh? I didn't know that it could be like you could actually enjoy what somebody had to say from the pulpit, but then they actually lived that kindness and love and caring and acceptance all the rest of the time, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't just, you, it wasn't a facade. I just love I you, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, very much. you, you and Robert, Here's um, and on probably because <laughs> she's saying some, great I things about you, Todd. Particularly low. Um, the, the, uh, you can understand in systems why it would make more sense for very many people, depending on their age and their experience to simply leave that kind of church altogether. Yeah. Like for you, you yeah. kept this relationship with the church, like the larger church, I mean. Mm-hmm. But how. It and I be- saw my siblings struggle because they didn't have that yeah. um, to fall back on. Hmm. So and, them- and that's made a difference to their lives to this day. Like right. that was, um, they were missing that integral piece, that whole backup system of people that have got you. I remember I could, I would show up to Sunday morning sometimes and see you, Todd, or see one of my friends and just burst into tears because yeah. I was like, I'm safe. I'm going to tell yeah. these people what happened and they're going to believe me Yeah, huh. and they're going to say it's wrong. Yeah. You know? So then, you know, I think we're going to have to have Jessica back and I want to do like a <laughs> show reviews or something. Oh and yeah. That'd be fun. About like the Mars Hill podcast sometimes. So maybe we'll, no, we didn't even get to that. Move to, <laughs> no. Honestly. Yeah. We'd love to have you back. And, and that, uh, so we'll get to, uh, the, the parts you know, introduce part two and then maybe talk more detail about it later because you mentioned it and we talked yeah, about it. Yeah, our, our reserved spiritual trauma. The other part of spiritual abuse, yeah, yeah, in your life. You are in Australia. I haven't got there yet. You no. are in Australia. How did you get there? So in grade 12, I, I got a boyfriend and I still went to Sutherland on Sundays, but he wasn't a Christian. I really struggled with that anyway. After high school, um, you know, we broke up and... Um, I felt a deep sense of grief with that because I'd really made his family, my family. I was always looking to adopt people. Mm. You didn't pick up on that yet, but like, I'm always looking even today, like I adopt people as parents. I adopt people as brothers or sisters because I'm filling that, that space. Um, which is interesting. I think that's what leads to what I'm going to talk about soon, but, um, yeah, I, I, I had met. My, one of my best friends, she's still one of my best friends today at Anvil Island Bible Camp. And um, she had just come back. I was, I was living in my own apartment by then with, with a roommate. Um, I was only 18. And she had just come back from um, uh, doing a discipleship training school in New Zealand. And her life was totally changed. Like her testimony is amazing, but um, her life was totally changed by doing that. And I could see the change because I knew before that she was struggling with 
drug, sex, and alcohol, basically. Um, I know she wouldn't mind me sharing that. <laughs> um, so when she came back and she'd had, you know, her life changed, she was just like, oh, Jess, you should, you should do this. Um, you should do a discipleship training school. They're all over the world. You could literally choose any location you want to go to. And I was like, no, that's not for me. Like, I'm so done with like doing um, church, things like that. I think yeah. even Robert had suggested I do like a Bible college or something. And I was like, no, yeah. I don't want to do that. And then I just, I mean, time went by and then I just kept, I don't know. I felt like the word YWAM just kept coming up or popping up all the time. And so one night I just went online and I looked up Australia because that's the next place I wanted to travel to. I'd been to Europe. I'd been to South America, Canada, you know? Um, and then the Newcastle location looked cool. Cause it was like surfboards and skaters <laughs> and they like the guys on there were like super cute. They had like these shaggy haircuts and like, they're tanned for, for some of our, our, our listeners who, who may not know what YWAM is. Could you give us like a, like a little like summary of what the, what the program is, what the purpose of it is. Sure. So YWAM is youth with a mission. It's an international um, non-denominational organization that operates all over the world and has, um, and their different locations are called bases. Okay. Um, and then they run missionary training schools for young people, uh, youth. Yeah. So, um, the people who are usually in a discipleship training school are anywhere between the ages of 18 and 23. So it's really young. Yeah. Um, Sometimes, I mean, there's older people too. They even run like an older people's DTS called a crossroads. Um, so yeah, anyway, I ended up somehow, I got all this money together and was able to go and do a discipleship training school. And that was like another time where I was like, whoa, God's really showing up because, um, you know, I would get like anonymous money in the mail to pay off these school fees. Um, and it, and it, I went, I did my eight month BTS and it really did change my life. And it really gave me some great foundation, um, in my, in my faith. But, um, I think the fact that I stayed on after that was where the big consequences came later. Now, was that like um, in like a staff sort of position? Like, did you transition yeah, well, like after and then your program? Had, while I was on my discipleship training school, they changed the rules and said that if you wanted to become staff, you not only needed a DTS discipleship training school, you also needed to do their, their brand new school of evangelism. So then it's like, okay. Okay. So, this is how so the I cults came, do it. Mm, this is the new program you need yeah. to take the next level. And you know what? I remember being there and, and hearing them use the word recruit. And thinking how brazen it was and bold it was that they were actually using the word recruit. You're trying to hide anything So were you supposed to recruit other young people? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And that was, was, you know, um, yeah, very openly discussed. Once I became part of staff after doing both of those Uh, schools, we would sit in staff meetings. And and, uh, David Stevenson, who we called Stevo, the director of the location, would go around the room and put you on the spot and say, how many people have you recruited this week? Um, and I remember his favorite is actually one of my really good friends now. And, you know, she doesn't have any contact with David Stevenson anymore, but she was one of his favorites at the time. She was like, I, I, I've um, recruited like six people today, this week. And he's like, you need to be like Trish. So then everybody in that group is looking at Trish and going, 
oh, we need, you know, I want like, that. Cause I want the affirmation. I want, I want, like, I want to be a favorite. Yeah. Like I want the attention and, um, yeah, staff meetings were really weird and freaky because I mean, we had prayer times and staff meetings too, where we'd be praying about buying a building and we'd have to keep praying and praying and hearing from God and having these moments of hearing from God until we all got the same answer. And then if you didn't get the same answer, you were kind of like looked down on like, okay, there's a spiritual we'll deficiency of some kind. We'll, yeah. We'll yeah. ignore the fact that you didn't get the same answer as us, huh. but you know, we'll probably not respect so, you as much either. So there was this, this definite push towards like consensus under one leader. And he had all the control and he surrounded himself with young, impressionable people who would be yes men yeah, and women. Right. Well, and, yeah. and with, you know, communal consequences and social consequences when they didn't fall into line or behave as the, the leader would want. Yep, exactly. So um, I had a friend who didn't go through the process to start a relationship with a a woman and um, because of that he ended up being like a little bit ostracized not it's not like an outright thing that happens everything's a bit like subtle hmm. so um, everybody in the community just knew that they didn't go through the proper channels to have their relationship I what mean they're mean married today with three kids but. what do you, what do you mean, mean you their were supposed relationship? to check with leaders whether you could have they a relationship sign off? with someone um, okay. So if I had a crush on someone, I would have to tell my leader and I wasn't allowed to talk to any of my friends about the fact what? that I That's was crushing okay. on this person. Holy crap. Yeah. And, um, then my leader would talk to David Stevenson and he would oh, kind of get so to good. say whether or not it was okay if, if that relationship started. I mean, I, I had a guy friend who once went directly to, to Dave Stevenson and, and said, Hey, I'm really interested in this girl. I think she's interested in me too. This is what God, this is what I'm hearing from, from God. God. You always had to have God permission. You couldn't have critical thinking. God forbid that. Um, <laughs> and, and, and he was told you're too emotionally immature to have a relationship right now. And I'm like, he's saying this to an adult man. And I'm like, there's one thing to just like guide somebody and go, Hey, do you think, you know, it's time or whatever, but to outright just he just controlled control the, the chess pieces on the board. So if he really wanted these two people to get together, he would tell all the other guys no that came to ask to uh, date, court that girl huh. so that he could have his, his way of how he imagined the world. Um, you know, we, we have a grocery store um, down the road from the Because you're base. still, you're in the neighborhood. She's <laughs> How? I know. How? I oh own a house gosh. like two minutes away from right. them. I drive, I drive home from preschool all the time and see and, and drive right by the location. It's really weird how I ended up back in yeah. Mayfield, <laughs> the castle. But yeah, we, we weren't allowed to walk down to the grocery store without um, a third person. So if I wanted to walk down the street with, say, I don't know, let's make a name up, Jake. Okay. But we didn't have um, a third person with us. We wouldn't be allowed to go to the grocery store and get. Why things. was because that? You was might, that always like, jittered? Sex or I was going to say spontaneous sex, right? Like that. Well, that's yeah, just... we would just fall into the bushes and make mad, passionate love. That's right. what would happen. 
if we were allowed to walk to the grocery store together. You know, um, one of these things that I find about like the whole like gendered, like boys and girls can't spend time together. I find it very offensive that it's absolutely completely in denial of any sort of not LGBT. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, because, you know, two, two women obviously couldn't have done that or like could you could, it's just could, a whole nother layer of offense young, on top of a, the misogyny yeah could you walk with another woman with another yeah okay. um no actually if it was at nighttime i wasn't allowed to walk with another woman i had to have a third person there too to protect us a guy i had to have a guy there to protect us not another were, girl were you guys in an in incredibly dangerous part uh, part of newcastle like i i don't <laughs> well, like this isn't really uh, like i'm like are, are, are any of these justified targeting exactly. I, mean, I, I don't know newcastle <laughs> There's two of them walking to the store <laughs> yeah let's get them i mean nowhere that no like i used to walk home from commercial skytrain station yeah. by myself at 11 30 at night after my shift so i don't but not to a grocery to store jessica because <laughs> yeah. oh that goodness. was a pretty scary area i had my little like rape whistle with me so in in retrospect when when you look back at this like at, at that moment did it feel like the the control and and that sort of especially like invoking god with it is just a whole nother layer of messed up um mm -hmm. did did you experience it as that control in the moment or has it only been kind of in retrospect as you look back and you're like oh that's so messed up um, I think in my, uh, so I was there for about three years. So I think it was in really? the last, wow. Yeah. I think it was in the last year that I was there that I started to really question what was going on and what was the control for, because in the beginning, I mean, I could just explain it away that these, well, David Stevenson never wanted to call them rules, he called them guidelines. But then if you went against the guidelines, you were in his bad books. So they were rules. So, so, um, you know, these guidelines are in place to keep you guys safe, um, trust the leadership. We have God's best interests for you. Um, yeah, it's really kind of crazy. Looking back now, I'm like, we were all adults. We yeah. were all adults and we were not treated like adults. We couldn't, mm. you know, I had a friend who even like tried to hear from God about which socks she should be wearing that day. So when I left YWAM, I, you know, got on the internet and there was i mean we're talking like this was 2004 so there was not the information on the internet mm -hmm. that there is now there was only like a few places i could go to look up ywam as a cult um but that was enough to help me that um, there were other like, people okay. saying because i was i when i went home i was trying to decide whether or not i was going to go back later on and i was just like i like all of this because i still felt like i owed them something but it also felt like mm. i wouldn't belong anywhere else um, no. because I had nothing to offer the world unless. Is that yeah. stuff that they, that they told you or was it more subtle than that? That that was well, just kind of like the general kind of feeling that they would have, like it, it seems beneficial to the leadership that you feel indebted to them, that you feel like the only place you could contribute is with them because it, it keeps you there. Like I can see that from an it. outside yeah. perspective. Yeah, that's all part of it. Um, I, oh, man, I, I had a thought about what I was going to say, and I forget. Um, in regards to what you just did, you look up to these? Asked. Were these leaders kind of put on a pedestal? Were they kind of cool and stuff at the same time? Or what, oh yeah, what, they, what so they could it? hear God better than you, so you you would just and you trust. Mm, whatever you must they have trusted that. Too. 
Yeah. And they have this thing called the seven steps of intercession, which was pretty much how to pray and hear God. So you'd go through all these steps as a group and then, or even on your own. And once you got through those seven steps of intercession that were created by um, one of the founders, Joy Dawson, then um, you, you would be open to hearing God's voice, not audibly, but like in your head or through scripture. Hmm. Um, and, you know, and I, after I left YWAM, I realized I, I went to um, a wedding for one of the YWAM couples that had gotten together. And there was all these ex YWAMers there from my base. And we were talking openly for the first time hmm. ever hmm. about our experience because we were finally in a safe place to be able to do that. We we're all in Nashville. It's there's no Newcastle around. Yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't have done that at the base. Like, no, 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 no. Because no that would have been gossip. Yeah. No. It's, and gossip is a sin. So we can't, we can't talk is, about Jessica. our bad experiences and we couldn't find out from each other that we were having the same questions with mm-hmm. the theology or the spiritual abuse or the control. We couldn't talk to each other about it. So that's how, that's why I look at YWAM Newcastle as a cult, because I'm like, they, they shut down conversation. They stop mm. conversation from happening so that we stay in those controlled, in that controlled space. Well, and stay we isolated don't know that everyone from else each other. Too. Yeah. Yeah. It's the keeping your story isolated to you and instilling a fear that if you told someone else, you would be rejected, you would be punished, you would be chastised. I remember one night I went out for dinner with a friend and we talked about some of the questions that we while you were had at about what was going on. And then she came to me and apologized to me later and said, I'm really sorry for gossiping. And I'm like, oh yeah, I felt really guilty to you. I'm really oh, sorry yes. as well. But th- that was actually a really important conversation we needed to have. Yeah. Uh, you know, surrounding, why did we have these questions about what was going on? Why is everything so controlled? I mean, you can... Like, like when I say to people now, like, oh, I was in a cult. They're like, what? Why would you join a cult? I'm like, nobody ever goes. Yeah. I'm going to go <laughs> join a cult. Where's a cult? Yeah, they didn't need to. Yeah, exactly. they went down the street. I'm going to join up. Yeah. No, like you get in and you find out probably towards the end that that's what it was. Or mm. even maybe a couple of years later, you'll find out you were in a cult. Um, and and, and you, so many of my friends who have left, because it's an international organization, so many of the people who left were from North America, a lot, um, a few from Europe, different, different places. Um, so they, they all wanted to go home and just not think about it, not mm-hmm. address the issues that had happened to them. But, you know, I'm still living here and I'm still hearing stories from the friends that I still have there about what's going on. It ended up that um, my husband and I, we met in YWAM, but um we ended up having people over for dinner and basically became like a place where we could be a sounding board. Cause we'd been there hmm. and we could ask them hard questions. So we're like engaging their critical thinking, which is how this works in, in cults. Well, yeah. Is you, you see well, it over and totally over disengage like the, critical thinking. There was that one in upstate New York called Nexium that had a big Vancouver yes, connection. Yeah. And there was a couple like that. Right. A local yep. Vancouver woman here, an actress, and and they got out, and then they people wound up going to them, and so yours is a different. Yeah, we're helping people get out. Yeah, 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 because we've been there, so they trust us, right? Because we've been there, but then we're also seen by some who were our friends, who used to be our friends, who are, who are, were still there as bad guys. Yeah, yeah you're tra- well, you're now. traitors. You're you're betraying well the organization. Yeah. It's um, yep. 
Was there? I do. I would still. Would, I would love to talk again sometime. We can do more. Mm-hmm. Do a movie review or something like that. That'd as be well, fun. Jessica's maybe awesome a little bit of a lighter like topic. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll review. Oh, this is so fun, guys! I love made and something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to to kind of move. Who would have known this that this would like there would be so one, much laughing in our conversation about towards, cults and spiritual oh, trauma? I would have. I know Jessica. Well, yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's so true. No, seriously. I, if there I mean, wasn't, I'd be like, oh, I hope she's okay. <laughs> oh, my I mean, gosh. It's like my party icebreaker now. I'm like, anybody want to hear about the time I was in a cult? Oh, I'm so glad. That <laughs> makes me so happy. Was there... So this would be... But I mean, kinda, I mean, obviously, we, we, we take the issue seriously. I mean, there's... I, I feel like almost like we need to provide a caveat for, for anyone listening to yeah. be like, oh, it's those cults Public that we're talking about. Public service knows. Um, takes it's like Google. most things in my life I say, you know, if I don't laugh, I cry. Yeah. Hmm. And... And I can't be crying all the time. No. So I, I need to laugh. And that's kind of how I've been, I don't know, my my whole teenage life until now. Right? Well, and that's but, who you are naturally. Yeah. You're super yeah. funny. So I just like, that's one of the, you're super funny. The, uh, the two questions I have to end, one really basic. It would seem with something like YWAM that the basic, if you're just doing real basic business model deal, what's actually going on here, you are giving them a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They are providing you with a relatively shitty place to stay, I imagine. Oh, heck yeah. Okay. So bad. And then you are giving them free labor. Yes. And and you need to include the food was very bad. Oh. So that's it unfortunate. Is, that's that's so, the model. And, and then the you time, recruit people to you're giving help them perpetuate. Control, you're giving them control over your personal decisions and the rest. Yeah. I had somebody come to me and say, um, so-and-so, one of these respected leaders told me, um, that God, I think it actually might've been David Stevenson. Yeah. God, um, told him to let me know that, um, he wants me to come back after my DTS and be staff. And I said, um, I was nearing my, the end of my time there. And I didn't know that that's what it was right. that I was, but I said to him, you need to know that there was a recruiting meeting this week and staff meeting. And we were told to up our numbers. Um, And so I would just go away and talk to God and look at your heart and what your desire is to stay. Because I now know from being in the secret staff meetings that um, he may not have heard from God about you. Yeah, maybe there was another motivation. It's probably a motivation because he's all about numbers. So then the last question I would have before we end part one, part two to be picked up at some other point. Is um, to bookend it. Was there a moment for you as an adult that, in, or even looking back now, that you go, or I'm thinking more in YWAM or as you're considering getting out, where you went, it's happening again? You're, you're, mm. you're, this time you're an adult and somebody else has so much control over you and they're not allowing you to be kind of who you are. Were you able to reflect back on your upbringing at all? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I kind of realized that I had replaced my dad with David Stevenson Mm -hmm. because like I said earlier on, I I was always looking to have a father figure. I mean, I I now can see the real, um, the narcissistic disorder parallels between Mm -hmm. my dad and David Stevenson Mm -hmm. um, and how I was always trying so hard to be enough Mm -hmm. for either of them. And I could never be enough, no matter how spiritual I was, no matter how many rules I followed. I was, um, yeah, just, it's, it's, yeah, I do look back on that and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just replaced one for the other. 
And then when my older sister was like, you know, when I was talking to her about why I'm being a cult and then she goes, um, you know, you were in a cult when we were homeschooled, right? Home, the, our homeschooling the, the Bill Gothard um, resources, Bill Gothard was a cult. And I was like, oh, and that was another light switch moment where I was like, oh, okay, oh, wow. I just went from cult to cult. Go Jess. And the Brethren Church is very culty too, because you can't, like I said, my sisters had to have meetings with the elders if they missed a Sunday. That's very cult-like. Isn't it amazing to think, not that this would be our responsibility. So either that elders room in the, in the very conservative Plymouth Brethren Church that you were part of, or what's going on in the heads of these men? As a teenage <laughs> girl comes in and they think that God, no their God-ordained role is to tell them off, is to tell them what they're doing yeah. wrong and how, and then to translate, how do you become the leader of, of something like YWAM or something where, and I, you've told us, Jess, that one of your speculations is about narcissism to spot the kind of, but the kind of leader that, you know, all these young people would come from around the world and then you think... Well, I'm it's really a, it's a damn good thing I'm here to tell these people, you know, mm. what to do. And then how well, many the, of people are from situations of difficulty in the past and keep finding these things, right? Keep finding themselves in these circumstances. There's a lot of people in Wyoming with daddy issues. Yeah. Hmm. It attracts that. And you're, think about it. You're leaving high school and you're going right into discipleship training school. And you just left your parents for the first time in your life, probably. Yeah. Um, and you're, and so you're kind of, without thinking about it, subconsciously looking for that new parental unit. And here's David Stevenson and his wife or their leaders under them. So you're, you're really just replacing one family for the other. And they tell you they're your family. That's the other thing. So you think this is your new family and you live in community with these people 24 hours a day. You see them like they're brothers and sisters. And that's called quite stuff. literally. So. The, so here's where we'll end with a little bit more hope. <laughs> End this portion before we talk again at some other date. Uh, and that is that in the middle of all this, you gave us a picture of something different. Uh, I'll get emotional again because I know them. a family who offered you something other than both of these things. Uh, at, You're making at, me cry. Yeah, at the suggestion, <laughs> at the suggestion <laughs> of, the of their teenage daughter. daughter who saw you not as threat or whatever, or but saw... So however she was taught and socialized and raised, she was able to see need. And one of mm -hmm. her first questions was, I think we might be able to do something to help. Mm. And then, and then that her parents did. And I know, you know, I know them and I know they still, you know, from across the miles, like th that year was significant, not only for you, but for them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, we talk about these, those, these two negative, because that's what we want to talk about. Yeah. And power and control. But the other has been in your life too. And we're really, really grateful for mm. that. And I hope not, to, this isn't like, you know, a, uh, you are able to tell stories, these kinds of stories in a way that just telling them is great. <laughs> we'll be praying that it becomes lucrative. <laughs> so, <laughs> <yes>. Preach, brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jessica, thank you so much. And I'd love thank to you talk so much for sometime. having me. We'll do it for sure. Thank you, Allison. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, really good to talk to you, Jess. Oh, so nice to talk to you too, Allison. Loved it. <laughs> Rector's Cupboard releases a new episode every other Friday. The podcast is a production of Reflector Project. Hosts are Todd Weeb and Allison Williams. Cupboard master for tastings and locations is Ken Bell. Production and social media by Amanda Miner. 
For past episodes and other content, visit rectorscupboard.ca. Thanks for listening. Thank you.